My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. And joining me as a guest is Joy Gorman Weddles. Actually, I didn't even like like make sure I spelled and uh, pronounced your name right. Is it Weddles? Yes, that is my husband's last name. Okay. <laughs> and as a producer, do you go by Joy Gorman or Joy Gorman Wells? You know, it's funny. When I was uh, making Seeking Friend for the End of the World, I got engaged and pregnant. And at the last minute, I changed the credit to Joy Gorman Wells because I was thinking that my daughter needs to see her last name on anything that I do. So most people know me by Joy Gorman, but I try to add the Weddles as much as possible so that my little girl knows that mommy worked on that. Very (laughs) nice of you. Okay. Well, Joy Gorman (laughs) Weddles, thank you for for joining me. Uh, Full disclosure, everybody, you know that I'm always introducing a producer. This week, there's no producer. And uh, guess what? I'm running the board all by myself. This will be the first time I actually do it. I'm very impressed. Thank you. My husband, we we tried this once. My husband came in and pressed the button, right? And I didn't really know how anything was working. And I came back and pressed another button. Well, he pressed the wrong button. So I was really mad and I'm like, you know what? I should, I should be a big girl and learn how to finally do this myself. So if it screws up, it's on me. There you go. All right. So um, just to let you know, if, uh, if, if that freezes, I, I apologize. We'll have to do it all later. Um, so let me tell you about Joy Gorman Weddles. It's, it's such an honor to have her here, especially right now. She is a producer of TV, film, and theater at Anonymous Content. Perhaps you know Anonymous Content because it produced this year's Best Picture winners, including The Revenant and Spotlight, as well as Golden Globe winning series like Mr. Robot and True Detective. Not too shabby. My goodness. I, I picked the right boss, that's for sure. Steve Golan's a superstar. Very, very cool. And at Anonymous, Joy focuses on socially impactful and positive content for women and youth and advocates for diverse filmmakers. Thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> um, she most recently produced The Meddler for Sony Pictures Classics, which is in theaters right now and stars Susan Sarandon, Rose Byrne, and J.K. Simmons. I loved the movie. I saw it with my 15-year-old daughter last night, and it's the perfect mother-daughter movie to see. Um, I went in with an expectation that it would be one kind of a movie. You know, she had a sort of a New York accent, and she was, you know, giving <laughs> advice. And I thought, oh, I know what kind of movie this is. The joke is going to be on her, but that's not what the movie's about, is it? No. Ultimately, the message is, you know think about where your mother's meddling is coming from. You know, ultimately it's what is your mother doing when you don't call her back? I mean, you're complaining that she doesn't stop calling and, um, and where does that meddling come from? And it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of loneliness. It comes from, you know, getting older and empty nest syndrome and loss and grief and figuring out who you are when you're not taking care of your children anymore. And 
it's such a universal thing. And I think we all have a meddler, whether it's your best friend or your mom or your dad. You know, my mom passed away, but my dad definitely calls quite a bit. Um, and we we thought about changing the title because of that sort of negative cliche connotation of the meddler, but that was Lorene's whole point was let's redefine what that means. You know, let's redefine what meddling is and kind of realize that it also connotes generosity and love and openness. And, um, and we hope that's, you know, what people are gleaning from seeing the movie. When, when I'm teaching class, we're often talking about finding better character development with the other characters by turning the script around from their point of view. But this is a way of turning it around from, from another character's point of view and making the whole movie that point of view, which yeah. is great. Really and, good. And, you know, a lot during the development process, you know, Lorene always felt this had to be Marnie's movie mm-hmm. and told from Marnie's point of view and that we would be watching Marnie alone, you know, a lot. And, um, in order to get the financing, a lot of people said, we'll make Zipper a bigger role, her love interest, or make Rose's character, Lori, a bigger role. And Loreen just wanted to make sure that this wasn't some kind of overwrought movie about women fighting with each other, you know, and that this really was, um, a, a different take on seeing an older woman, um, and her rebirth later in her life. And in order to do that, you had to really focus on Marnie's journey. Uh, so tell me about the inspiration for the movie. Did it come from the writer, and it's Lorene Shafaria? Scafaria, yeah. Scafaria. I'm going to screw up everybody's name. <clears throat> so Lorene Scafaria, was this an original spec written by her, or was this something yes. that the two of you developed? So it was... Um, Lorene and I are very close friends, and much like Cecily Strong's character in the movie, I'm, I'm the, the best friend who lost my mother and Lorene's mom is sort of a surrogate mom to me. So we've been close for a long time. And when we were making Seeking a Friend, Gail um, Scavaria, who Marnie, on whom Marnie, the character Marnie is based, um, would come to the set and visit us all the time. And, you know, she was so proud of her daughter and <laughs> she would, she would be sitting on set with us. And sometimes, you know, she would blurt out something really sweet and loving, but still it was like, you know, you, you're not allowed to comment on Steve Carell's performance, ma. Um, and so I remember Lorene turning to Gail and me and saying, my next movie is going to be about you and it's going to be called The Meddler. Aww. And, you know, for a long time we talked about what makes this, what makes a fictionalized version of Gail, you know, a character that's the center of a movie. And we thought about a Fargo-esque kind of like, what if, she, you know, what if she really did look for that serial killer that she talks about? And we, you know, we thought about all these different versions of how to bring um, Gail as a character to the screen because she's so incredibly universal and lovable and interesting, you know? Um, And ultimately Lorene kind of like, she had been writing it little by little over the years. And then she kind of sat down and finished it and it became, very close to what it is now. And um, it was just such a beautiful, lyrical, kind of sweet, poetic, and simple yet profound take on, on, on an adult child and her mother, you know? And um, 
it really moved a lot of people, you know, and I think that as specific as she became about the character, it made her more universal, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, you know, because the authenticity of Marnie and Lori, I think, is what really is reaching people about the movie, you know, that it isn't this sort of like, we're not really taking a lot of the Hollywood tropes that you see in a regular romantic comedy or a regular mother-daughter movie or, you know, yeah. um, so I think it's it really is a character study, kind of like a Woody Allen movie. Well, one thing I noticed was, you know, you could tip it in either direction and and it could go off the rails. I mean, it was a real balancing <clears throat> act with tone. You tip it in one direction, it's too comic. Tip mm-hmm. it in another direction, it's too terms of endearment, and which I love, but it, what, that wasn't what you guys were going for. And so it had to sort of maintain this nice balance between drama and comedy. And I really felt like you pulled it off. There were, there were times I was like, oh gosh, I hope it doesn't screw up in this kind of way. And you, you were like, no, we're we're keeping it real, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I really appreciated that. It was, it was really getting a sense of that experience with that woman. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that Lorene kind of wanted people, she wanted you to think that Freddie, the Apple store genius and his brother were going to take advantage of Marnie, but he didn't. Right. She wanted you to think that, uh, Cecily's character Jillian was not going to thank her when she did her toast at the wedding but then she her eyes fill up with tears and she says no one's loved me unconditionally other than my own mother you know and right, um right and don't and, give, don't give any more away these oh, are spoilers sorry. this is good stuff you sorry. know go see the movie oh, but yes. no you're right you're right like it 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 definitely leads you in a certain place and and there are a lot of surprises along the way, but not in where you think that they would be. So I very much appreciated it. Um, you know, congratulations. Thank Tell you. Tell me as a producer, because I, I saw you work just now, you know, yeah. you're on the phone <laughs> with three people at one time and there's yeah. a lot going on. Even as we're doing this podcast, you have to, you raced from something, you have to race out to something else. Yeah. So what are some of the, some of the work that goes into being a producer at this stage when a movie's in the theater? Well, you know, with an independent film, I mean, I think with larger movies that have a huge P&A spend, the producer's job is probably done by now. Um, but with this movie, word of mouth is everything. You know, um, with a small movie, you don't get the P&A spend on Mother's Day weekend that, like, the big Gary Marshall Mother's Day movie gets. So what you are really trying to do is spread the word, you know, make sure that all the good reviews are getting up on Rotten Tomatoes, make sure every famous friend you have is tweeting about it and seeing it. And, um, you know, word of mouth is all you have. It's good old fashioned word of mouth. And also what's interesting about marketing a movie like this is it's really being marketed to older people who still go to the movies, Mm -hmm. you know, Florida, and it's the same, you know, the studio sees it as the same audience as I'll see you in my dreams. Um, lady in the van, grandma, like some of those movies. And yet we've got some of the hottest young comedic actors out there who really do attract fans in this movie from Cecily Strong to Gerard Carmichael to Rose Byrne. Yeah, it looked like we've got J.K. Simmons. Yeah. It was great. Like, uh, is, was that- Casey Wilson, Sarah Baker, Lucy Punch. I mean, it's crazy the kind of 
huge TV personalities that did a few days on our little indie movie because they love the script and they love Lorene and, you know, we were really lucky. And so Jason Ritter, I mean, it's like, it's endless. The people who have a following who did small roles in this movie and, um, Billy Magnuson, you know, and so it's, it's real grassroots, uh, campaign in that way. I mean, we have a terrific studio in Sony classics and they've obviously, gosh, gotten so many Oscars and made so many artful movies over the last 25 years. Um, but this one is, you know, something that we want to make sure that we're attracting the younger audience as well as the older audience, because we think it really does, you know, this, it is, it's Marnie's story, but it's still told the filmmaker is the daughter, right? So it's still a story of your mother as told by a woman in her thirties. Um, and I think that's what makes it kind of fresh and youthful besides the fact that we found the sexiest 69 year old you ever could. Oh my God. (laughs) And Susan Sarandon. I mean, (laughs) I feel like she's younger than me sometimes when I'm with her. (laughs) I was, I was teaching in Cartagena a couple, couple months ago. Oh, how cool. And she was the guest of honor. And there were all these fancy parties, like crazy up till like, you know, three in the morning kind of parties, you know, and there in a corner, completely clad in white and surrounded by gorgeous Cartagena men. Of course she was. (laughs) was Susan Sarandon. I didn't even like dare to get close. You know, I was just like admiring it from afar going, ah, there you go. And she's like, even in person, even more beautiful. Oh, really? She really is. She really is. She's stunning. And she's the the thing about her is like, she's a humanitarian, you know, it's like she spent, she was doing overnight shoots and like worked. She was in every frame of the movie within two days. She was like off to Nepal to rebuild after the earthquake. You know, I mean, we're checking in about press photos coming in and she's like, Sure, as soon as I get back from Greece, where I'm welcoming Syrian refugees over <laughs> Christmas. I mean, today she's Who in Berlin. doing that? No, exactly. I mean, today she's in Berlin delivering ping pong tables to refugees. I mean, she is really a, an unstoppable force and a humanitarian and obviously a brilliant actress. But I just think the empathy that she brings to her characters is what she brings to the world. You know, um, and it's a fascinating thing to see. So how, okay, you're the producer. How do you get Susan? How do you get this cast that you lined up? How, how insistent are you personally in going in a certain direction? And then what do you do to reel them in? Well, you know, obviously the script was beautiful and it was, it was attractive to people, but at the same time, you know, agents are not usually jumping up and down to, uh, attach their talent to something that's probably going to made, be made for less than $5 million. And, you know, you have to bank on the potential upside and nobody gets paid. And, um, and so that's a challenge. And it's a challenge to even get to the place where Susan Sarandon or J.K. Simmons or Rose Byrne's agents are taking it seriously. But I think the combination of Lorene being a brilliant writer and having a lot of fans of I'm lucky that I'm at anonymous content. And so when I have a script, people are taking it seriously because of the track record of my mentor, Steve Golan, and also my own track record. But you know, that helps, but the best was, 
I think because this script was so heartbreaking and sweet and funny and special and authentic and Lorene's voice is very much that and um, Shaney Rosenzweig, who is Susan's agent, read it and she flipped for it. And when Lorene said, I'm just going to send it, I'm sending it tonight to UTA, to Susan Sarandon. I'm going to get it to Susan Sarandon. And I said, oh my God, I know her agent, Shaney. She tweets and Facebooks about her mother (laughs) and her hashtag is the mother. Oh my gosh. And her mother's like this Jewish lady on Long Island, you know, and um, I think it's Long Island, but in the tri-state area, you know, and I knew Shaney was gonna love it. And um, within 24 hours, Shaney called me and said, I sent it to Susan. And within two weeks, we were having lunch with Susan Sarandon, like in this surreal um, moment of, I can't believe we're sitting with our idol, you know? But isn't that, I like that, that it connected on a thematic level, it connected with, it's about something somebody wants to see on screen. It's not always, you know, the, the bucks. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. And you know, I think that it made me realize it's, it's very hard to, and and then to finish answering your question, you know, um, figuring out who zipper was going to be took a while and, um, realizing that, you know, that part got a little bit more, Lorene worked on that role and made it a little bit bigger and a little bit more interesting so that that would attract, you know, JK and we got JK and Rose at about the same time. It was really exciting. It was like both of their agents loved it and sent it to them right before Christmas. And, um, Lorene met with both of them and was like, I think I have the other one, (laughs) you know, and that kind of helped. Um, but, but yeah, it's like these, um, you know, we're here to tell stories for a living and you have to balance making a living with telling stories that are really meaningful. And, um, I think it's helpful for me, you have to make so many phone calls and you have to fight so hard for something. And if there's a message there that I know is going to touch people and change their lives and make them feel understood, it's a lot easier to make those phone calls and beg for whatever it is that you need, whether it's an Apple store or, you know, a location or a Beyonce song, you know, and um, having a beautiful script that was a, you know, based on a true story about what it's like to lose your husband, what it's like for a daughter to lose her father and something that really people want to watch and feel understood by, you know, made it easier for me to do that job, I guess. Now, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World was also written... Wait, was it also written by Lorene? Written and directed, written yes. And that directed. was her directing debut, yeah. So that... I, I loved that movie as oh, well. Thanks. And that starts Steve Carell and Kieran Knightley. Mm-hmm. It was for Focus Features. Um, uh, so so uh, with that, it was definitely darker. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, again, talk about not going in expected places. Um, really, like... From there, uh, you guys could have been like the uh, like gritty indie, you know, bleak <laughs> kind of like producer director. But you went to something warmer. I'm just I'm curious about seeking a friend for the end of the world. What about that um, that material? Well, got it's you? funny. It's funny that both movies. You know, it's something that brought Lorene and I together as friends and partners is. Um, having experienced similar losses and seeking a friend. If you, 
if you guys watch it, stay till the very end of the credits and you'll see a, uh, a dedication to Joe and Pat, which is Lorene's dad and my mom. And that movie was, Lorene was writing that, you know, right around the time that her father died. Um, she and I became very close friends because in our group of friends, I was the only other person who had lost a parent. And so when you think about it thematically, both movies are about loss. You know, both movies are about finding love and hope, um, in a time of grief and loss. And I think what is similar you know, in Lorene and I, in terms of our taste and why her voice speaks to me in such a, um, just visceral way. And I'm so passionate for her voice is that we just kind of see, we, we see the power of like humanity want, you know, like humans want to see the truth. They want to see something that reflects their feelings. You know, that's why movies like Terms of Endearment are so, iconic forever, you know? Um, and I kind of approach there isn't, there's very little material that I've ever worked on that I feel doesn't have that balance of kind of depth and sadness with levity and lightness and happiness. You know, I think that you kind of need both in order to reach people. Right. Right. I, 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 that's, you know, I, I'm going to look at the the movie again because I think I, I went from this sort of like more edgy point of view and sort of stayed there, but I just recently mo- lost my mom as well a, a couple oh, so couple sorry. months ago. Um, and it would be interesting to look at it now from a different point of view to know that that's what was going on with you guys as I'm watching this. I, I think that would be an interesting experience. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom, and I will say that like when you think about that meteor <laughs> you know, that's coming for them, it's a metaphor. You mm-hmm. know, we all whether we've all had a great loss, whether it's a parent or a child or a boyfriend or not, it does, people don't have to die, you right, know? Right. Um, but whether you, you know, whatever it is that you lose in your life, it's, it's kind of, it's a comed, it's a darkly comedic exploration of like, how do you get through feeling like it's the end of the world? Right. You know, and right. that's really universal. And I think what was so cool about, that idea and what Lorene was going for is she took a high concept, but she made a character piece. She made a character comedy out right, of it, you right. know? Um, and, you know, that's what she's just so brilliant at. Like, she just has a very specific point of view on the human condition, and she's really truthful about it, you know? Now, let, I'm going to jump to what's next. Cool. And um, I have here, Joy is an executive producer with Selena Gomez on the upcoming yes, Netflix Paramount the- series adaptation of the New York Times bestselling novel, 13 Reasons Why. Mm-hmm. And the series is created by Brian Yorkie. He's the writer of uh, the Tony and Pulitzer print prize-winning Broadway musical Next to Normal, and it's going to be directed by Oscar winner Tom McCarthy, yes. who won the Oscar for St- Spotlight, right? That's right, yeah. This is exciting. So yeah, it's is, really is exciting. This, is this a musical? No, it's so funny. People ask Brian and me that all the time, but, um, you know, Brian and I uh, started working together in college. Um, we went to Columbia together, and I produced musicals that he wrote when we were at Columbia and I uh, worked on next to normal with him and Tom Kitt for many, many years. And 
Um, a friend of mine, Crystal Lablin and Mandy Teefee, who's Selena's mom, had the rights to a book that my niece and Brian's niece had both told us was like the book that changed their life, you know, yeah. and it was this, you know, this, and, and it actually turned out to be a phenomenon. The book has sold three and a half million copies. It's published in 38 languages and it is the quintessential book that deals with the issue of teen suicide, which is something that is growing and something that we really need to, as a society, figure out and explore. And Brian always loved the book and they had had it in, um, they had had it in development at Universal as a movie for Selena to star in when she was a little bit younger. And they came to me looking for a writer and wondering if, you know, they were going to make it as a TV series and they were looking for the right creator for it. And I said, Brian and I have been obsessed with this book forever. And so we partnered with them and, uh, Paramount Television and Anonymous paid for a script and a Bible and it was being written while Spotlight was being made. And it was actually just another fortuitous thing that Brian and Tom McCarthy had been working on a musical adaptation of The Visitor. Um, you know, Tom's award-winning movie that starred Richard Jenkins. and mm-hmm. I, I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. a great movie. And so they've been, they had been developing at the public theater a musical of The Visitor and they had become friends over the years. And we said, you know, I know it's crazy. It seems crazy. This is a show about teenagers. It's a young adult show. I wonder if we show it to Tom and take that shot a few weeks before he's, you know, going to be at the Oscars and while he's doing his spotlight um, campaign, Oscar campaign tour. And so it was really nice that Brian had that relationship. Steve Golan and Michael Sugar, the partners at my company, had that relationship with Tom and it all really came together really beautifully. But we sold it straight to series to Netflix um, back in September, just from a script and the book and the Bible of, you know, Brian's take on the series. And now you need to in that as well. Yeah. And we have a wonderful co-showrunner named Diana Sun, who came off of American Crime, who's a um, brilliant playwright who I've loved her plays since I was in college, you know. So it's just a really um, brilliant, smart team of people that came together to tell an important story. And um, Tom clearly knew how to do that with Spotlight. And Brian clearly knew how to do that with Next to Normal, which was, you know, won the Pulitzer. And it's a rock opera about a bipolar woman and how her family deals with her um, depression, you know. And so clearly I like things that make people cry. (laughs) Evidently I like to make people cry. I don't know what's wrong with me. You know what? You're going to manipulate emotion. Just go for it. Um, so as, as the, the producer, who's got a lot of writers listening, um, what is your responsibility to the script? You seem very invested in the script itself yes. and the story being told. So, and yet you've got, you've got also these business priorities. So how do you, how do you juggle both? Um, I think that I always come from a place of character and authenticity. That is like, to me, the most important thing. So if there's something financial that doesn't make sense, right? Like let's say I'm trying to think of like a good example, but, um, it's like, let's say somebody says, for instance, our movie, 
well, why don't you shoot it in Seattle? Well, because it's about a woman who moved to LA to a sunny place that costs a lot of money to shoot, (laughs) you know, um, and we don't have a tax credit, but that is what this movie is about. And I will figure out how to make this movie at this budget that I can find, but it has to be in LA. And so we have to, you know, the writer director and I have to work on what can we cut? What do we have to cut? And what can we do to get everything that we want? Um, and you know, it's usually a discussion when you're finding a location, for instance, which is usually, you know, a, a huge budgetary question, how important is that expensive thing to the storytelling? Does that thing change the character that you created? Maybe not, you know? Um, and it's to be able to have that creative conversation with your writer, creator, writer, director, um, and really understand what their vision is and help them come up with compromises that don't compromise the story and the character. Right. You know, and sometimes, you know, you put your whole below the line group together and you have your line producer and you have your UPM and you have, and you know, sometimes there's a real disconnect between their understanding of what the writer director needs and what's on the page um, because they're trying to be super efficient and keep everything on track. And you as the creative producer have to liaise between those people and your writer director and make sure that um, yes, you can make compromises, but never in a way that the script will suffer or the original vision and the original story will suffer. So creative producer is probably the title that you're taking in all of these. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a term. No, it's, it's a term we use. We I hear, think we hear producer so much mm-hmm. that it's always like, well, what kind of producer, you know, but when there but are so many so different many kinds of producers, you know, I mean, there are producers who, there are people who just write checks and want a producing credit and they, have every right to ask for that if they're going to give you $2 million for your movie, you know? Right. Um, but I think that what makes me, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to, <clears throat> I think that what I think makes me good at my job is that, and maybe to a fault, I'm not driven by the dollar. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't actually, I don't come from a lot of money. Like I don't, I put myself through college. Like I'm not, I mean, believe me, I like some nice shoes. Don't get me wrong. I'm well, no, and I like and I like crazy. a nice hotel below. Well, right, exactly. You but, and I could totally <clears throat> hang out, just hang in hotels and go shoe shopping, and I think we'd be happy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I am driven by what my every day is going to look like, and who I get to be with. You know, who I whose stories I get to tell, and if what what I'm driven by is, I want to be making movies with Lorene. I want to be making TV series and theater with Brian. I want to be making, you know, I want to be the person that those people can trust and know will fight to the death for their vision because that's what I know how to do best. You know, everybody listening right now is going, God, I wish she was my producer. Oh my God, what (laughs) could I do now? I, you know, everybody out there, uh, Joy is not taking new new projects at this time, but um, I, I know they would want to know what leaps out at you when you're actually reading a script. Let's say it's a new script. What 
turns you on or what turns you off? What turns me off, I'll tell you first, is people writing toward an idea rather than um, a truthful feeling or a reason for the story. You know, always ask that question, why now? Why does this story need to be told now? You know, I'm kind of known for like doing things for women and I'm like... You know, I've always advocated for female filmmakers, so I'll get a lot of things like, I've got this, you know, broad comedy that's raunchy about women at a whatever, you know what I mean, at a spa or women going on a trip. And it's like, why? What's the, what's the purpose? Like, what's the journey? What are these women doing? And why <clears throat> does that movie in a competitive marketplace where there are millions of people trying to get movies made. Why does your story, why should your story be told? And, you know, some of the questions or some of the things I think about when I read something, especially now that I'm a mother and working in a job like this, you have to spend a lot of time away from your kid and it better be worth it. But I also always think of that term, you can't be what you can't see. And to me, I just, I'm trying to follow the rule that I don't want to put a character or a story out into the universe unless it's something that I feel like kids, women, our audience, like the world needs to see, you know, like I'm working on a half hour comedy with Paul Feig about women in the tech world because why are we always seeing like guys in hoodies that are white being coders and programmers. Like there's a lot of like hot, awesome women of color that are coders, you know, (laughs) or, um, or, you know, I'm bringing back guys on the prize with Nate Parker, which is a, you know, documentary about the civil rights movement that changed my life as a kid, you know? remember it, yeah. And so I just think when you're sitting down to write something, Think about why, why, why is your story meant to reach people, you know, and it can't be just because you like writing it. Like it, it has to be that like you have a unique point of view and a unique story to tell. And I think we all do, you know, but it's, I think it's important to, to decide what makes your voice kind of different than anything anyone else has ever seen, you know? Um, And just to make sure that you're writing to your truth and not to, well, people are making a lot of Fast and the Furious type movies, so I'm going to write one of those, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people want to be a writer or want to be in Hollywood and approach it in this, like, this is what the market wants, and so I'm going to imitate that. And... I'm sure there are people who get ahead doing that. It's just not something that I know how to make or understand. Right. You know? Sure. Now, on a craft level, do you respond to uh, a good first page? Are you gripped within 10 pages? Are you willing to go like, well, let me see if it's if I'm interested by the end of the first act? Do you have sort of a, a certain stopping point? I mean... It really depends on like the auspices and like where it came from, how many pages I can get in before I know that it's not for me, mm-hmm. you know, like, but you can usually tell in 10 pages whether somebody's voice is for you, 
you know? And I can always say, oh, well, this is like, I mean, if it's a horror thing or something like violent, I just give it to some of the smart guys that I work with who are good at that stuff, you know? I'll always try to pass something on if it feels like it's not for me, but it's worthwhile for someone else. Um, But I have like really distinctive taste. And I think Lorene and Brian are the perfect example. It's that kind of, you know, combination of very truthful, um, heartbreaking yet funny, real people. You know, I'm not a big comic book movie person. You know, there are exceptions that I think are great, you know, but um, I just, that's what I really respond to is like just feeling like a voice is so clearly unique and true to a person that wrote it you know i i hope everybody gets a producer as cool as you joy that's so nice that would i wish that on all the writers who are listening that's nice your your writers are very very lucky um i want to make sure that everybody is watching uh the things you want them to watch so first of all let's start with what's in theaters right now the meddler everybody i'm telling you it is a really nice movie you can take your teenage daughter or your teenage son to it you could take your mom to it you could take your husband to it and no one's going to be rolling their eyes or doing any of the things that you think it's really genuine Mm -hmm. and it's just a a a great experience i really enjoyed it so is it in uh you know it's out right now right yeah so we um it's a rollout so um this weekend we're in a hundred and something theaters and then next weekend we'll be in more and then by memorial day weekend we'll be wide so you know with an independent film the most important thing is that we sell tickets and get people into the movies and that's how we get into more theaters um, and, and you were saying look if you want to have female driven material if you want to have material that is aimed at you know with has some older characters mm-hmm. for a change we have you, to buy tickets to those movies you, you know have it's, to buy tickets it's it, you know it's like nobody's I, I don't you know nobody has some nefarious uh conspiracy against women in film <laughs> But it is very, very hard for female directors to get these movies made. It's hard for anybody to get these indie movies made. But that kind of, you know, the Jim Brooks or like ordinary people, Woody Allen kind of character driven movies don't get made in our studio system anymore. The kind of movies that got made in the 70s and 80s that our parents took us to just don't get made anymore. And when they do... You, they get made in 23 days for $3 million, like this movie, um, which you will be very impressed. Nobody believes me that it was that low of a budget. But um, but we have to go and see those movies. That's how they're going to survive. You, you know, know, I have a theory. It's like, like yeah, we need, we need, if you want female movies, you're going to need more female audiences, you know. Yeah. But we're we're always doing so many things, right? So if we can have a movie theater, Especially right? as mothers. Yeah. yeah. We need a movie theater a movie with theater, a babysitting room. Right. A babysitting room or also maybe a, maybe a bunch of desks where we could keep like, <laughs> like, totally. like doing our calendar as, cause you know, the little cup holder for a glass of rosé. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I want to make sure I can do a lot of things at one time, it's you know? So and true. I think, yeah, but definitely that babysitting room. That would be a good idea. Yeah. yeah exactly. Like, we used to have them in church when we were little. You had a crying room oh, where, like, the really? loud kids went to church. We had <laughs> the 
babies went in a crying room in my church. I'm really? Like, Can we have a crying room in a movie theater? I need a crying room in my classroom. <laughs> okay. This is all the distraught writers. Here, go in there and cry. Not here. Um, what about uh, 13 Reasons Why? When should we check that out? We're just, we start shooting um, in three weeks. And so it will be on Netflix early next year. Cool. And then what about all these other things? Tell, tell us what else to still look out pretty, for. It's still pretty early on a lot of that stuff. Okay. Um, so follow, follow the news. You can follow my Twitter. Oh, what's Joy Twitter? Mary. Okay. I just started tweeting in At, my, in my old age. I just started tweeting to promote the meddlers. So it's, you can it's follow Joy, me on Twitter. At Joy Mary. At uh, can you spell Mary? Oh, J-O-Y-M-A-R-Y. Okay. And if you see the meddler, please tweet and hashtag the meddler and hashtag call your mother. Like my t-shirt. Oh, the, oh, I like it. I like it. I have to have a picture of you We that. sold... That's something I should mention to you guys. We, um, I don't think the campaign is actually still going on, sadly, but we did a campaign with Omaze and we sold... Um, about 1,500 of these T-shirts, and the money went to Hope North Uganda, which is one of Susan's favorite charities um, to support child soldiers and um, orphans who are surviving the civil war in Uganda. So these Call Your Mother T-shirts, we sold a bunch of them, and it helped promote the movie, but all the money went to a good cause. Holy so. cats, that's great. Yeah. That is terrific. Um, is there a specific URL just for the it's Call Your Mother t-shirts? omaze.com forward slash meddler. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Wow, you're doing so many things. <laughs> Joy, thank you. I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv. There is a rewrite weekend happening June 4th and 5th, and that is in Los Angeles. Two days where you're just immersing yourself in your project. You, it can really, you don't have to have a completed first draft. You'll just learn some advanced writing techniques and you'll leave a better writer, I promise you. Also, I'll be teaching it in London, July. Oops, sorry, June 11th and 12th. And um, Oh, I'm going to that. Okay, come on. I'd love to see you. <laughs> I'm in production, but I really want to go to London. Go to London. <laughs> Hang out with me. And it, the, the class is, uh, if you're looking for it now, the, um, the website is rewritetoolkit.com. And that way you can sign up for the June 11th and 12th today in London. Thank you again, Joy, for being Thank here. You. You it was rock. so much fun. I'm so Thank glad you. I got to meet you. I'm so glad we got to do this in oh, your busy, busy day. Thank you. Good luck with the movie. Good luck with everything. Thank you, Valerie. You too. And everybody, thank you so much for listening and have a good writing week. Thank you.